We are dedicating more and more of our programs to helping you to understand what the Bible says about the future, about the things to come, about the end of the age. And one of the opportunities we have is to feature those who have studied this in depth, who are able to offer us great insights. Grant Jeffrey is an individual who served the body of Christ with distinction. At this point, he is now actually with the Lord. But his ministry continues. His insights were profound, and they continue to apply to the day in which we live. Grant's ministry was especially helpful when it comes to his understanding of the book of Daniel. And that's what I asked him about the last time we had a conversation. And he shared with me he had a a deep love for this book, as do I. And you really need to understand the book of Daniel in order to understand those things that will play out before the Lord's return. Well, I think Daniel is perhaps the most fascinating individual in the Bible next to Jesus. It's interesting, though we know more about the life of Daniel than perhaps any other prophet. He is the only other person other than Jesus in the Bible of which, though we have great details following his life from beginning to end, there is not a single criticism made by God of his life or his faith, and in fact even his enemies, his pagan enemies that wanted him dead, could not make a successful accusation of any wrongdoing of any kind against him. What a tremendous illustration of how his faith expressed itself in every part of his life, even in the midst of two pagan empires. But the other thing that fascinates me about Daniel, aside from his character, is that although many of the other prophets were given an insight into the nature of the events that would happen in the last days, including in some cases the sequence, only Daniel was given specificity of time. Daniel is unique among all the biblical prophets in that he gives us a timeline, especially concerning Jerusalem, especially concerning the cutting off of the Messiah to the very day when Jesus was rejected in his life of ministry in the first century. And he gives us a timeline of the last seven years of this generation, of this age, where mankind is going to express Uh, in the most evil way during the tribulation, their rebellion against God. But he gives us a timeline so that those people living at that point, Jews and Gentiles, who have become tribulation believers, I believe will be able to use this information to encourage them to hang on and not despair and give up and take the mark of the beast because it seems hopeless, because they'll know that his time is limited, his Waterloo is coming. I not only appreciated Grant's scholarship when it comes to understanding the end of the age and what the Bible says about the end times, his depth of knowledge in eschatology also gave way to practical application because the Word of God was not given simply to fascinate us, although it is fascinating. It was given to change our lives, and that is especially the case when it comes to Bible prophecy. It's too easy to kind of get engrossed in the the details, but forget that it's there to remind us that God is sovereign, God's in control, and we need to live in light of the Lord's return. I can truly say as a student of prophecy and of history that we have never had a generation in the history of Christendom in 2,000 years which has seen even a fraction of the prophecies fulfilled in its lifetime that we have seen 
since 1948 and the rebirth of Israel. It's truly that the prophetic clock has started ticking, that the countdown to the apocalypse, which is the revelation, the second coming of Jesus Christ, the best news that mankind could ever contemplate, that it is going to happen, I believe, in our generation. Not date-setting, but it is very clear from multiple passages in the Bible that God wanted Christians to be aware when the season was approaching, and that this knowledge was not just to be satisfaction of our curiosity, but rather that it would motivate us to walk in holiness in the midst of an immoral world, and to witness with urgency, especially knowing that the time is coming when the rapture will take the church home to glory, and our job in terms of evangelizing the world will be done. If we awake every day as Christians, saying perhaps today is the day when the Lord will come, it should motivate us to walk in holiness, to put on the whole armor of God every day, and to resist the fiery darts of Satan, but at the same time to witness with urgency. And to that end, every one of my books has the plan of salvation in the final chapter. And I encourage people when they finish reading a book like mine, that they give it to their unsaved loved ones and family, because it's amazing how many people who wouldn't darken the door of a church voluntarily have a fascination about Bible prophecy. And they will read that out of curiosity. And then by reading about salvation, it really sets the stage for you to share your own faith with them. And that is precisely what happened in my life. I had never read the Bible, never studied the Bible, did not understand the gospel. And it was when a group of men told me about prophecies concerning the return of the Lord Jesus Christ that I started to explore what the Bible had to say. We need to be extending this to people, especially in the day in which we live when so many things are happening, that I believe the interest will be piqued when we talk about the fact that this world's not going to know peace until the Prince of Peace returns. And he said he would. And there are indicators that it could be soon. Now, one of the things that Grant also pointed out is that the book of Daniel is so incredible, it's received a lot of scholarly criticism. I believe it's fair to say that the book of Daniel has been attacked more than any other book of the Bible, uh, perhaps only coming close to the book of Genesis and, of course, the whole thing about creation. But Daniel has been attacked most specifically because one of the things that we need uh, to understand as Christians is that the claim of the Bible to be supernatural, to have an authority that is second to none in the world regarding salvation, about heaven and hell, and faith in Jesus, comes from its claim that it is the Word of God. How then would God prove to an intelligent reader, uh, Gentile or Jew, that the Bible is what it claims, the Word of God? Well, I argue that the Bible, if it is the Word of God, would contain evidence that man alone, unaided, could not produce. Human prophecy is pathetically horrible and filled with error, and in fact is of no value whatsoever. Prophecy is unique to God, and in fact in Isaiah 46, 9 and 10, God says that he alone is God who knows the end from the beginning, and from today the things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. In other words, God says, I alone know the future. I alone declare it before it happens and bring it to pass. What the book of Daniel most uniquely does of all the other books of the Bible 
is it contains very detailed and precise sequential prophecies that show that God had to be the inspired author of the Bible, inspiring Daniel to record his words, because the precision of the prophecies as they were fulfilled in the rise sequentially of the four great Gentile empires that were dreamed of by King Nebuchadnezzar and interpreted by the prophet Daniel, the very day of the cutting off of Messiah, some uh, 483 years after the prophecy began, the countdown, the Messiah was cut off literally to the very day on Palm Sunday, A.D. 32, that Daniel the prophet had predicted centuries earlier. And this was not something that was only known to a few obscure Jewish scholars. The truth of the matter is that there was a widespread expectation at the very time Jesus was born we see that when we see the wise men come and they ask of Herod and his advisors, where is he that is born king of the Jews? They don't respond by saying, what are you talking about? They immediately respond, Bethlehem, because they knew Micah in chapter 5, verse 2, had predicted the very place that the Messiah would be born. But they knew this was the very time. And when we find uh, the old priest and Hannah waiting for the consolation of Israel, they're there because Daniel had prophesied clearly that the Messiah would be born at that time. And I prove this in the book and show that there was actually a Rabbi Nehemiah, not Nehemiah, but Nehemiah, who lived 50 years before Jesus was born, around 50 B.C. And this rabbi, interpreting from the prophet Daniel in his great vision of the 70 weeks, calculated that the cutting off of the Messiah would take place as you and I would count time in our calendar as 32 A.D. He then figured that based on the book of Numbers and the qualification that you could not become a rabbi, a teacher, until you were at least 30 years of age, figured that he had to obviously be 30 years plus of age to be a Messiah and be cut off. And giving a few years for his ministry, he calculated back from 32 A.D. and said around what you and I would call 0 B.C., the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. And this was widely known. It is, in fact, even found in Jewish commentaries on the prophet Daniel that are modern, written by Orthodox Jews in Jerusalem, that I have in my library. They say, the real mystery is that the temple was burned by the Romans in 70 AD, the second temple, and yet the Messiah had not come. They say, we all knew the Messiah was to appear before that second temple was destroyed. Daniel had prophesied this. Haggai had prophesied this. And so they say the mystery is why the temple was destroyed in 70 A.D. and the Messiah had not come. You see, the spiritual blindness in their eyes prevented them from seeing Jesus of Nazareth for the fulfillment of the Messianic prophecies. But they knew that was the very time. Imagine that a rabbi who studied the book of Daniel 50 years before the birth of Jesus Christ was able to pinpoint precisely when he would be born because he understood what Daniel had written. And if we understand what Daniel has written, then we realize there's a seven-year period still outstanding. It'll be again with a peace agreement in the Middle East, and we continue to see peace breaking out in the Middle East. Well, the followers of Jesus also knew this. And that's why they followed him. And that's why they asked him some of the questions that we have documented in the scriptures. 
disciples, when they heard of John the Baptist, they ran down to the Jordan, and they asked, are you Elijah? And then the second question, are you that prophet? Now, they were not repeating themselves. The question, are you Elijah, is referring to Elijah the prophet, who would come, according to Malachi, before the great day of the Lord. But the second question, are you that prophet, is a messianic title, that prophet. It comes from Deuteronomy 18.18, where Moses prophesied that God would raise up a prophet like unto Moses, and he would have the words of life. And so when they asked John the Baptist, are you that prophet? They're saying, are you the Messiah? And of course, John directs them that another is coming is greater than him. I have more that I'd like to share in terms of my conversation with Grant Jeffrey, but uh, we are out of time for today. So make sure you go to our website, livetheword.org. There, right on the front page, you'll find a place where you can sign up for a podcast so that you can get information like this just right in front of you at your convenience. And then also you can sign up for a weekly email that a lot of times is just simply dedicated to being a prophecy update. We want to talk about the return of the Lord Jesus Christ and discuss how we can prepare for the glorious arrival of our Savior.